Dear ones, I'd like to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I need to let you know that at the end of this message, I'm going to be asking some of you to make a response to going deeper in your love for the Lord Jesus Christ. But before I do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, I just want to thank you so much for the opportunity and the privilege of being able to share your word. This is my prayer, is that these, your beloved, would not necessarily see Jim Lowe speaking, but my prayer is is that they would see you speaking through me. Because if that doesn't happen, then everything that we do here today really means very, very little. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus, amen. You need to know that this semester, the focus in chapel has been on spiritual disciplines. And so because of that, today I want to talk about prayer, using Luke 11 as the springboard as to where I'm going to be going. The reason I want to use the Gospel of Luke is because the author, the writer of Luke, basically focuses on four major themes. He focuses on a theme of giving praise unto God the Father. Over and over you see in the Gospel words of praise that are lifted up to Almighty God. The second theme that we find in Luke is the theme of woman being involved in ministry. The third one is our responsibility as believers in the area of injustices that are around us. And then the fourth theme that you find in Luke, it is the theme of prayer. In fact, Alfred Plummer called Luke's gospel the gospel of prayer. That from Luke chapter 1 to Luke chapter 10, the emphasis is focused on the prayer life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That in Luke chapter 3, we see him praying by himself. In Luke chapter 4, we see him praying in a place of solitude. In Luke chapter 5, he is described as praying in a lonely place. In Luke chapter 6, we are told that he is again in that posture of prayer, communing with God the Father. In Luke chapter 9, we again find him praying a blessing over bread and fish. And in that same chapter, we see Jesus Christ going to the top of the mountain to pray, coming along and saying, Father, whom should I choose as leaders for the kingdom in which you want to build on earth? And then in chapter 11, a shift takes place. From modeling but what he does, Jesus Christ now moves to teaching his disciples with words. A certain unnamed disciple, having seen the Lord's practice of prayer, he came to Jesus Christ and asked him to teach him and the other disciples how to pray. Their prayer life, which characterized our Lord, will later on in the book of Acts characterize the prayer practice of the disciples as well. You see, as I was reading and reflecting on Luke chapter 11, like many others who have looked at this chapter, I found myself asking the question, why did Jesus' disciples request him to teach them to pray? I mean... Didn't the disciples already know how to pray? Hadn't they been taught many prayers? For they were part of the Jewish nation. The Jewish people, they were a praying people. They set aside special times for prayer during the day. 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. Everybody was supposed to stop what they were doing. And at those times, get into that posture and pray to God the Father. Beyond this, there were prayers for every imaginable event. There were standard prayers to greet the morning. There were prayers to meet the night. There were prayers for mealtimes, prayer for thunderstorms, prayer for shooting stars, prayers for mountains and rain, and prayers for river and deserts. There were prayers that people were supposed to pray when things were going well. But there were also prayers that they were supposed to pray when the land was going through a time of drought. 
You see, the Jews, they were a praying people, and they understood at least four major themes about prayer. Number one, the Jewish people. They understood about the significance of prayer. The rabbis taught the people that God desired their prayers and about how God would hear them as they lifted up their voices to him. They taught the laity the following phrase, the holy one yearns for the prayers of the righteous. No true Jew with a right spirit ever doubted God's priority for prayer. As the Jews understood about the significance of prayer, secondly, they understood about the strength of prayer. Again, the rabbis quoted the following words, prayer, the weapon of the mouth, it is mighty. So many Old Testament personalities can testify about the strength that comes from people praying. Look at Moses for a few seconds. God miraculously answered Moses' prayer when he divided the Red Sea. Moses prayed and the Lord came and shared and showed his power by giving good water to the Israelites when they were in the wilderness. Came along and gave daily supply of manna to the Jewish nation as they were traveling through the wilderness. Perhaps the most miraculous answer that God gave to Moses was when Moses prayed that God would spare the Israelites after the incident with the golden calf. Look at Elijah. God miraculously answered Elijah's prayer on Mount Carmel when he rained fire from heaven in the showdown between God and the false god Baal. Look at Daniel for a few seconds who prayed to be shown the king's undisclosed dream and how God answered him, giving him words of interpretation. How Daniel, when he was thrown into the lion's den, because he was in that attitude of prayer, the Lord came along and shut the mouths of the lions firmly. Dear ones, prayer appropriates the power of God. Though I sense that in the culture that you and I are a part of, many times we will focus on the love of God. But dear ones, I want you to know we serve a powerful God. Through prayer, we can appropriate God's power. In a survey done by Discipleship Journal, readers rank areas of greatest spiritual temptations and therefore challenge their spiritual walk. What caught my attention in this article, though, was this is that 81% of the survey respondents noted that the temptations that they face are more potent when they neglect their prayer time with God. You see, dear ones, prayer has a way of connecting us to the source who is able to help us resist worldly temptations. Prayer can also hook us up to the power of the great healer. You see, in no ways... Am I trying to devalue the place of doctors? For the doctors I know, they are smart. They're hardworking. They're compassionate. They have relieved my suffering on many occasions, and I'm grateful for their expertise in diagnosing illnesses, prescribing meditation, setting broken bones, and stitching up wounds. But I want you to know, this does not mean that I place my faith in physicians, but dear ones, my faith in God Almighty. You see, doctors study medical science and learn how God designed the body. But the only reason that doctors can do anything to make us better, it is because of God himself. Surgeons can be use, can be, would be useless if incisions did not heal up. And so I want you to know is that I believe that all healing is divine because no healing takes place apart from God. But at the same time, I want you to also know something is that I believe in miraculous healings as well. 
At the age of 37, Wendy Lawson woke up one morning unable to move the left side of her body. Wendy shared these words. It was like someone had just drawn a chalk line down the center of me. My whole left side was numb. Wendy, a flight paramedic, thought initially that she had a pinched nerve, so she went and visited several chiropractors. But each one of the doctors, even though they came along and twisted her bodies and cracked her bones and tried to make her feel better, nothing helped at all. Two days later, the numbness that had come over her right side was crippling her up with spasm and tremors. Paralyzed and scared, Wendy went to the hospital. Doctors ran battery of tests upon her body. Finally, an MRI revealed what the problem was, multiple sclerosis, an incurable disabling disease that attacks the central nervous system. Wendy had, according to the doctors, seven lesions in her brain, the main one in her brain stem. The doctor came and told Wendy that she would probably never be able to walk again. For over a decade, Wendy, she could not walk at all. In fact, it was so painful that many days she would wake up in tears because of the pain in which she was feeling. Wendy, because of this illness, began going to church where she states that she found God as her Savior and found comfort from the people who were there to encourage her. That through her suffering, her faith and love for God began and began to grow deep. Wendy then shared, that a lot of my friends in church had seen me crippled up, laying in the pew to listen to the sermon because I could not sit up because of the pain that racked my body. Eleven years after her diagnosis, Wendy prayed that she would go into remission long enough to be able to go on a short-term mission trip with some members of her church. The month in which the trip was to take place, she was healthy enough to travel and head to Madagascar with the team. Then Wendy, remembering those days, stated, We were in a big field. I'll never forget it. A big field made of red dirt in the middle of nowhere in Madagascar. People had walked for miles and miles, most without shoes, to be part of the crusade, part of the services in which we were conducting. At the end of the preaching, many came forward for prayer. A small boy with a broken leg came to me. According to Wendy, when she prayed, something incredible happened. She testifies, my hands were still kind of crippled. I bent down and I put my hands around a broken tibia. And the only prayer I prayed that night was, please heal this boy in the name of Jesus Christ. That was it. When Wendy then shared, I then felt that bone go back in place. My hands were on fire. They were tingling. Tears started to well up in my eyes. The little boy let go of his friend's arms who were there supporting him and began jumping up and down and began to scream with all that he had, I am healed, I am healed. At the same time, God laid it upon Wendy's heart, these words, Wendy, I want you to know that you are also healed. I began thanking God day and night for my healing, even though I didn't feel it totally yet. I had returned now back to the States. After a few months, Wendy slowly started to feel better. After six months, she visited her doctor for a checkup, to which the doctor told her, I cannot explain what has happened to you, but Wendy, I want you to know you are totally healed. Another six months after this checkup, 
Wendy was out riding her motorcycle again, skydiving, doing everything that she loved doing before the MS began attacking her. Dear ones, I believe that the God I serve is a powerful God that is still able to heal and perform miracles. Many of you inside this room will come along and stay, but umfundisi, Jim, have you yourself actually ever, ever experienced the healing power of the great physician? And I want you to know, having been a missionary over in Africa many times, I had seen how God came along and did the miraculous. So then students will come along and say, well, have you ever seen God do the miraculous here in the American context? When I first began teaching here, and I've shared this in some of my classes, when I began teaching here some 20-some years ago, I was teaching a class called New Testament Survey. New Testament Survey for me always met around 1.15. I want you to know, that's a horrible time to teach. People have their lunch, they come to class kind of drowsy. In fact, there are two times I don't like teaching, 7.50 in the morning and 1.15 in the afternoon. In fact, for some of you, you're saying, oof, we don't like going to class any of the times. But I remember going around the classroom, and as I was going around the classroom, talking to the different ones that were seated there, I had gathered early, and I came by a student by the name of Sarah. And as I got to Sarah, Sarah said, Umfundisi, will you do me a favor? Will you please pray for me? Sarah, why should I be praying for you? Because Umfundisi, tomorrow I'm going home to go visit my doctor. Well, Sarah, why are you going to go visit your doctor? Well, because the reason I'm going is because I, I'm, I'm, my grades are going down. Why are your grades going down? Well, because I'm having a hard time hearing. And the doctors want to come and examine me to find out what is happening with my hearing. And so I said, well, is it all right when the class gathers together? And at that time, we had around 60 students in that class. We put Sarah in the middle of the class, had students come, lay hands upon her, and we said a prayer that went something like this. Dear Father, we are not here to force you to do anything because you are sovereign God. But if you would see fit to do a miracle here, we want you to know you will get all the credit and glory. And then the amen. Class resumed. We were teaching on the book of Acts, how the early church began. If you know anything about the book of Acts, it really is talking about how the church began by the preaching of God's word, but also by miracles. Friday's class went on like normal. It was a Friday class. The students weren't all that energized. Monday comes. I went to Sarah. Sarah, how, what happened on Saturday? Sarah came along and said, Umfundisi, do you mind if I share with the whole class when they gather together? I said, Sure. The 60-some students came into the class. Sarah, why don't you share? Sarah got up. I want you to know, she said, I went to the doctor, got to his office, went into the inner office with my mom. And as I went into the inner office, the doctor came along and took that medical contraption with a little light on it and stuck it in my ear canal to see what was happening. He then exclaimed and said, Sarah, I know what the problem is. The problem is, is that there is a growth in your ear canal, and as it gets bigger and bigger, it's causing you to have a harder and harder time hearing. And then Sarah made a commentary and said, you need to know my doctor is not a believer in Jesus Christ. Then she went back to the story. She said that the doctor began to take that thing out of her ear, and then the next thing, he stuck it back into her ear and said, Sarah, I don't know what's happening, but right before my eye, the growth is disappearing. Dear ones, I serve a mighty God. As the Jewish nation understood about the significance and the strength, they also understood about the sacrifice of prayer. That once the Jewish temple had been destroyed in 70 AD and once sacrifices became forever impossible for the Jews, prayer became the supreme sacrifice offering. 
In the writings of the rabbinical fathers is found the following quote. God said to Israel, be assiduous in regards to devotions. There is no finer quality than prayer. Prayer is greater than all the sacrifices. So in a way, the sacrifice of prayer is being willing to daily place ourselves before God. You see, I worry about the number of believers in Jesus Christ who are not spending time communing with God through prayer. And then, the fourth thing about the Jews is that they understood about the steadfastness needed in prayer. The Jewish teachers taught that prayer needed to be constant and consistent, not to be done simply when individuals needed something to be done inside their lives. And so, the disciples, they knew all that already. And yet, when they looked at the life of Jesus Christ, they come along and they asked the question, teach us how to pray. Three things that Jesus Christ taught the disciples. Number one, Jesus Christ, he lifts prayer to the plane of loyalty. In 1 Chronicles 16 are these words, For the eyes of the Lord are looking and seeking throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are loyal and fully committed to him. You see, a probing question that you and I need to be asking ourselves is this, are we truly loyal to the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Many of you realize that there is more persecution in the church today than ever before in the church of the history of the Christian church. I've been getting reports from missionary friends about what's taking place among those that are part of the ISIS community, Christians that are being persecuted for their faith. And one of the things we're finding is this, is that Christians who know that they could have their heads cut off or something horrible crucified upon the cross, this is what they're saying. If I have to die, let me die glorifying God. But if you're to gain anything from my message today, this is the point. Jesus Christ lifts prayer to the plane of love. You see, the wording and forms of prayer that the Israelites used were set, and they were then simply read or repeated from memory. Prayers easily then became a routine, a semi-conscious religious exercise, able to be recited without much mental or passionate involvement by the individual. But dear ones, you need to understand something. Jesus Christ, he was not pleased with this, and thus he lifts prayer to the plane of deep love. I see how Jesus wants us to pray out of love by how he addresses God. He calls him Father. You see, in the plethora of books on the Lord's Prayer is one by N.T. Wright, which is entitled, The Lord and His Prayer. And he comes along and he tells us that in the Aramaic language, the word father, it is actually the word daddy to us. Or dear ones, let's put it this way. As God loves us, we are called to love him. You see, if I were to go around this room, this auditorium, and ask you the question, do you love God? I have a feeling that the majority of you would come and say, yeah, Umfundisi, I love him. But I think the more important question for our community is this. Do we truly love God with all of our heart? with all of our souls, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. You see, I believe that when you and I are entering into an attitude of prayer, we really need to make sure that we are in love with the master. We do it not because it's a legalistic thing for us to do, but we do it out of love for him. And so very quickly then, I'm going to ask you to make a response this morning. I'm a person that needs to have a lot of reminders And years ago, I went to a youth conference when I was a young person. And at the youth conference, they gave us a heart sticker that they taught us to put somewhere so that we could see it all the time. In fact, they suggested placing it in our Bible. 
Well, I do that with my prayer book. That in my prayer book, in the front page, I've come along and I've put a heart that comes along and states, pray out of love. As a reminder that it is not a legalistic action, but my prayer time with God needs to be done out of love for him. We've asked the dean of the chapel office to come and get us some stickers, heart stickers. I'm going to ask those that are going to be helping us. This is going to be hokey for some of you. But I believe that there are some of you that also like to have reminders. And so as the worship team comes out here, and as the different ones are standing at the altar, if you know in your own heart that your love for God is there, but you know that you need to continue to go deeper and deeper, and you would like to have a little sticker, I know it's hokey, but it's a great reminder that we are to pray. What we do for God, we do because we are in love with him. And if you would like to have that reminder, you can do it different ways. You can come up here and they can just come along and smack a heart onto your clothing. Or you can come forward with your Bible and have them place the heart in your Bible so that even as you read your Bible, you know that you are to do it out of love for him. Will you do me a favor? Will you stand up? And as we sing some songs of love and praise to the Almighty, will you do me a favor? Will you respond to the gentle touch of the Holy Spirit? What is your love? Do you love the Lord with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength? How will you respond?